So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's dark for movie night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew and I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week on the show, we are covering the closest thing I've ever seen to a live-action Looney Tunes episode. It's 2004's action comedy Kung Fu Hustle, written, directed, and starring Stephen Chow. Stephen Chow with Kung Fu Hustle. Sorry, I have nothing to say there. <laughs> um. Well said, dude. It's very much a Looney Tunes episode. It is just so goofy, slapstick, over the top, man. It is crazy. And I'm very excited to talk about it with you tonight, man. Yeah, me too. I had a lot of fun with this movie. We'll we'll get to that here in a little bit, but we'll do a little board review, I think, first to, to kick us off here so yeah. that people know where we stand currently. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Dirty Harry. Number 17, Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19, Face Off. And number 20 tonight's episode kung, kung fu, fu hustle dude i didn't really notice that we have the friends of eddie coyle and dirty harry so close to each other on the board it's kind of cool a couple of the 70s crime sort of films there you know yeah well it's like an aging movie star on his way out and an incoming uh, megastar coming in Clint yeah yeah so good excited to get to all those movies in due time man so that is the board as it currently sits. But tonight, we're digging into the Kung Fu realm, Jared. Yeah, dude. I was so excited. So for, for listeners out there, this is a movie that Drew had not seen. And when, it was one of those things, you know, when you find out a good friend has not seen a movie that you really enjoy, I just get so excited. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait for you to see this, dude. And we finally hit it. I mean, it had been on the board for a little while, right? I can't remember when it went up, but it well, was, I, I mean, guess, around Cable Hogue times. Yeah, well, it, yeah, absolutely, because it took Cable Hogue's spot. It, um, it's the only the second time we've hit number twenty. Yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be sad as it always is with a twenty number leaving because it is such an anchor of the list and having that good strong last name. I feel like Kung Fu Hustle did a good job, you know, and that that weight will be passed on to. Another another film to, to to shoulder that burden of a twenty spot. It's got to roll off the tongue properly. Yep, yep. So we'll see, we'll see. It's going to be my job to put something on the board later because last week you put Dirty Harry on there. So mm-hmm. um, excited to get to that part and uh, feel it out because I haven't chosen anything yet. As mentioned, this is a Drew Clark choice. I wanted to ask you, Drew, as we're getting started with this. This movie had, I would say, a pretty big impact culturally for people of our generation. Interesting. You, Why do you say that? Maybe it was just my circle of friends, but the movie was definitely talked about and watched a lot. Hmm. 2004, 2003, uh, I mean, I graduated in 07, so around that time, it was still kind of like hanging out with friends, watching movies and playing video games and stuff. And Kung Fu Hustle, my memory of it, was it was like very much in 
like the sleepover rotation kind of. We would watch it all the time, but it was like kind of a hangout flick for me. Hmm. So I was pretty surprised to find out that you hadn't seen this film. So I was going to ask you, do you perceive this as a shamer to any degree? Or do you think it's no. too small of a film to be a shamer? Yeah, not at all. It's interesting you say that because I think that uh, maybe it's just that there weren't a lot of people that I grew up with that were digging into, you know, Asian uh, exports at that point. Yeah. Well, I will vet with that said then, how, how did you hear about this film? And like, so I think you, I think you might be right. It maybe is not, uh, it's definitely not a shamer. Um, do you remember when you started hearing rumblings about this? Was it when you really started getting into films? Was it a little yeah. later? I, I didn't really like become fully aware of this movie and, and its reputation until later. But I do distinctly remember when it came out in 2004, watching an episode of At the Movies with Ebert and Roper. It was when, you know, Roger Ebert and, and Richard Roper were, were doing the show together. I remember that episode for some reason sticking out in my brain and being like, that movie looks fucking weird. That That's interesting. It It never fully appealed to me. I think because it was on the wackier side and like I was for me, like martial arts movies were more like the more visceral Jackie Chan style, like, you know, or, or like Donnie Yen or like uh, Jet mm -hmm. Li, like, like more violent type, type. Yeah. Martial Tony Jaw maybe. Right. And not as much the more fantastical side of, of mm -hmm. Kung Fu. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I, I, I had, I wish I could remember because I didn't find the movie on my own. Somebody showed it to me. Like I would, I don't, I'm just, I wish I could remember my first experience with it, but I had a really kind of similar thing where I fell so in love with Jackie Chan and that type of Kung Fu that it like led to me rejecting the really fantasy stuff, which is one of the reasons at the time I did not respond to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm. I was kind of, I had my arms crossed and it was kind of like, well, you could tell they're on wires. This is bullshit. Jackie Chan doesn't use wires. You know, I was kind of viewing, like I thought that Kung Fu movies had to be just one thing. It had to be all real or it was bullshit, which is a really small way to look at it. And overall, I think I still prefer like the grittier other things, but that's, I've totally come around and, and movies can do whatever they want. And I really do like, the fantasy elements yeah. nowadays too. But yeah. I, so I can relate to what you're saying when you said like you were more organically drawn to the more physical, hard nosed and slightly real, more realistic Kung Fu film. Yeah. I think at that, at that age anyway. Um, but I've certainly, you know, come around in, in recent years, similar to what it's saying, you know, you're saying you did. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of where I wanted to bring up this movie to me on first watch and we're kind of getting into first impressions mm -hmm. here, but mm -hmm. on first watch, it didn't fully connect with me. Mm. And I think I was, I was letting things like the not so great CGI and like the, the effects work and like I was letting things kind of distract me. And to me, this movie is a movie that you need to unlock a little bit. And what by that I mean, I watched a YouTube video after seeing this movie that kind of flipped everything, you know, in my brain and 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 had me looking at it from a completely different angle. Mm. And the way that it, it happened was that this video was from 
a, a Chinese based YouTuber who had done this video and I'll link to it in the, in the show notes cause it's a really great video, mm. but basically covering the ways that this movie is referencing the history of Kung Fu movies and the history of these fighting styles. And it, it was fascinating to, to see it from that lens. So rewatching it was a completely different experience and so much fun and oh, I could good. let loose and I, and I really, really enjoyed it. I, I still like, I maybe don't love it the way that it sounds like a lot of other people are just like, this movie is fucking incredible. Like, you know, on, on letterbox it's like four and a half, five stars across the board pretty much from most of the people I follow. And I don't know if I'm quite there, but mm-hmm. I do see the greatness in it. Right. And it, so it was that you had your first viewing, right? And it was kind of like, eh, yeah, I want to hear more actually about that. I, I like the, the, the arc that you've taken with this movie so far. You had your first viewing, you had the, the kind of YouTube reset, and then you have the really enjoyable second viewing. Tell me a little bit more about that first one. Like you mentioned how the CGI was kind of sounded like it was rubbing you wrong a little bit, or maybe the goofiness was the goofiness kind of pulling you out of it. You know, well, it, it could have been just a mindset thing on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think maybe watching it, I anticipated it being, you know, I, I knew that it had this fantastical side to it. But I maybe was expecting it to be more close to the the Jackie Chan Jet Li stuff than I than we actually got. It was like way more uh, special effects driven and and um, yeah. wire worky and like I just I didn't quite know because I hadn't seen like v- the trailer. I hadn't seen videos from this movie right. since probably two thousand four when I saw that that yeah. Ebert and Roper bit. Um, right. So you didn't know you were getting a superhero film. Not at all. No. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. And I definitely want to talk more about that. But cool. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I just like I had, as we always talk about, I had too much baggage going into this movie, but in a different way than we're, we're maybe used to having. It was baggage. It was like unconscious baggage. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's like you didn't have, it wasn't like you had the trailer memorized. It's not like pop culture. It's known. Um, I do remember the whole sequence of the guy kicking people and it was like pinball sound effects. That pops out to me as a memory of like that maybe that was used in a trailer. Mm. But I totally get what you're saying. It's not that type of baggage. It's not an E.T. or anything like that where it's like we've just heard so much about it. Well, so this movie was yeah. still a mystery to you, but it had you still had somehow an expectation of what you thought it was going to be. Well, and I was kind of hanging around. I definitely did not expect it to be, like I said, like a live action Looney Tunes episode. Like, yeah, it, it is so goofy. It It is. It, it's pitched at such a level that uh, to be honest, watching it, I was really surprised that this movie connected with you so much because it seems really? the antithesis of your, your sensibilities. You know, that's a really interesting point. And I get, I get where you're coming from there because Listeners uh, of the show might know, generally, I prefer the movies that are kind of maybe a little more subtle or blah, 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 you know, and I really did not respond well. well to I think like I think it's Rouge. more just that, like, it seems like you gravitate towards things that reflect reality more. I tend to. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also this other side of me, though, like from my childhood, I was raised on Looney Tunes. They're really important to me from the ages of like, you know, five to 10 or so, something like that. I loved Looney Tunes. 
in addition to that sort of like Looney Tunes background, I was also raised on Three Stooges. So slapstick for me has always, I've had a soft spot in my heart for it. I have a lot of really fond memories of watching Three Stooges with friends, with my father, with my grandfather. So even though in a lot of ways, other types of comedy that I enjoy have kind of grown and heightened and, you know, maybe I prefer sarcasm or awkwardness or whatever on any given day, slapstick and absurd physical humor has always had a, just a, a place in my heart and mm-hmm. I have a weakness for it. So that, that kind of went with this movie. And I honestly don't remember. I, I, I really wish I could remember, but I don't. If I loved this movie out of the gate or not, it might have taken me a couple times to really oh, to get okay. on this wavelength too. I can't I can't recall. Because I would imagine my first time I would have been kind of like, uh, it's another goofy crouching tiger hidden dragon. I, I would think, but I don't recall. I really wish I had a stronger memory of the first time I saw this film. Mm. But it is one of those rare movies that I love that I don't really recall how it came into my life, you know? So you don't remember what your first viewing was? No, and that's and that is so. I would imagine this is true for a lot of movie lovers too. Like like, I remember the moment when I saw Raging Bull for the first time. You know, I I I remember who I was with, and all and there's a ton of movies like that. Like I I can tell you the exact situation. But Pulp Fiction is at my friend Dan's house. You know, it's like stuff like that. This one is just for some reason it faded. I don't hmm. I don't recall. And, and which leads me to believe I probably didn't have a s- strong reaction to it the first time I saw it. Because generally when a movie blows me away, it stays with me you know, on that first viewing. I remember when I saw it. It's a movie uh, yeah, you needed is, to unlock. This has gone camouflaged in my mind somewhere, and I, I, I kind of lost track of it. But it is, I will say, a movie I, I fell in love with and really, really When was dig. the point that you fell in love with it? Do you remember that? No, I remember I had it on DVD and I would just watch it routinely and I really became fascinated with the absurd concoction that this movie operates in. Like, I loved the fight scenes. There's one in particular that I think is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in film. We'll get to that, I'm sure. But that combined with an absurd sense of humor that's just so... um, unpredictable and crazy. And sometimes the gags don't work, but for me, for the most part, they work really well. And I find myself laughing so much at this movie with just how ridiculous it is. Kind of, I mean, we've talked about this sort of thing a lot on the show. It has sort of that Putney Swope vibe of like, you can do whatever you want in movies. Like it doesn't really have to make sense. And this movie is full of stuff like that, that has really over the years charmed me in addition to the badass fight scenes. And not only do I personally find it funny and laugh out loud funny too, there is an actual emotional core to this movie. There's times where it gets really sweet and I have, um, you know, kind of bittersweet emotional reactions to it that are, so there's a sincerity here. It is so over the top. It is so silly and goofy but there's there's a there's a heart beating beneath it all that's really going for this stuff and mm. is 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 doing it I think with clean intentions and all of those things work together to make me really love this film 
And it's mm. been, I would say I've seen it probably like five or six times, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like one that I've, and, and even seeing it this go around, I felt like it might have been a little too soon. So I do think I saw it like two years ago. Oh, okay. So I think after this watch, which I still really enjoyed, I think I'm like, okay, I'm, I got to set this one down for like five years. Yeah. I got to let this one cool for a bit because I don't want to risk uh, destroying it. Um, but it is still a movie I have a super soft spot for, man. And uh, I wanted to ask you too, actually. Do you find this movie funny? I do. Yeah. I, I don't think all of the bits work for me, like uh, maybe quite as much as they. it sounds like they work for you. Um, mm-hmm. But I think generally speaking, I found the absurd elements really funny. Um, <laughs> less in like the laugh out loud, you know, type and more in just like the... <laughs> You know, yeah, 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 chuckle, a chuckle out loud. Is that a, that makes you know, not howling like when we were talking about, say, Alan Partridge, there was that character who pooped in a box, and you <laughs> you said like that destroyed you, like you were you were like you know side split. It sounds like these weren't these weren't those types. Look, you're still laughing at it. I'm now. laughing at it now. It's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. It sounds like these laughs for you weren't to that level. You weren't like. No. destroyed but you enjoyed you laughed you chuckled yeah i i found it more cute than i did funny you know yeah and like one thing like it's just it's an clever. example it's got some moments where you're just like i i didn't see you going there that's funny that's just funny and you know whenever we get into movies that are funny on this show we really do try to resist the urge to just list a bunch of funny shit but just to throw a couple out there so you kind of get what i'm responding to in this film and where i'm coming from is like the scene where they're kind of running with Looney Tunes, very Looney Tunes style, very fast legs and stuff. Yeah, she ends up splattering herself on a billboard. Th- that's what kills me. The way that is shot of her like just elegantly spinning through the air with that cigarette in her mouth and she just exits the frame and you just hear the collision and then the articles of clothing go flying by the screen and then it just cuts to her on the billboard like a fly on a truck's windshield mm-hmm. and she just like slides down all looks like the the slide and everything looks like it was done practically to my eyes and it's pretty 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 good looking little stunt you know what i mean like little little move yeah and like that to me just cracks me up like stuff like the the drunk landlord character like having the pot fall on top of his head and crack. And then when like the ax gang arrives, he just like looks around and then just like takes the dirt and like swirls it around his face and just like continues <laughs> hiding. It does not make sense. It's so silly. And I'm just like, I'm just really laughing at it. Well, well best, I'd say more than a chuckle, like a, I, a sincere laugh. I think the best bit of the movie is when Stephen Chow's character first comes to that village and like wants to pick a fight with someone like to show that he's tough and he picks the one guy and then he stands up and he's like eight feet tall. He's like, fuck, (laughs) no, 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 sit back down. And then he picks another guy and it's an old guy and he steps forward and he's like jacked beneath the (laughs) neck where you can't see him. And then he cuts and he picks a kid and the kid walks out and he's got the same jacked body. Yeah, he's that, yoked. The one up, you know, the one upping yeah. thing. Cause each one of those is funny individually, but when you scale them that way, it's so fucking funny. Yeah. And the also the character's naive, delusional self-confidence and how he just refuses to admit like that he's outmatched or anything despite all of the evidence he's just like, nah, nah, nah. he's just trying to wave people off trying to talk his way reasons. through it. any anytime like yeah. there's an, an an inept person trying to like bullshit their way through something i think it's pretty funny yeah 
I think the movie like came out at a really interesting time. Like it came out at the right time is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. 2004. We have seen movies like Matrix Reloaded, which is a movie I'm a big fan of, by the Me way. Me too. But, um, you know, you could see they, t- they took a big swing with the visuals and something like the Agent Smith fight in the second film, Reloaded. It's like, eh, you could t- kind of tell it's just uh, animation. It doesn't really look like people fighting in certain parts, parts of the sequence. Yeah. And this movie is playing in that same space and doesn't have, I would imagine, nearly the budget that Matrix Reloaded has. But it is so absurd, and the environment that it's built in is so ridiculous that I cut it so much visual slack. Like it can look as silly as it wants because it is so cartoonish. Yeah. So I, I, it, it kind of works these sort of visual weaknesses to its advantage based on the playground that it's working in. Reminds me a little bit of Vivarium. We talked about in that film how they had this sort of downgraded low-cost, lo-fi CGI that they used on the creepy neighborhood that they get stuck in in that movie and how it's actually a strength because it's this artificial world that they're entering and can't escape. So the fact that it looks flimsy and not real is a, is a benefit to that film. Mm-hmm. And so in this way, I kind of got a similar reaction where I'm like the goofiness and the absurdity makes the shit like, you know, their legs running at high speed and that Looney Tunes just to me, it doesn't look great, but it works because the movie is so silly. I agree with you for the most part. I think there are moments specifically towards the end of the movie where you're, you've got a lot of great martial arts action happening mm-hmm. that some of that CGI work ultimately kind of robs some of those scenes of their effectiveness because there were actual moments where, and, and I went and watched a YouTube video um, that was a featurette from, I guess, the Blu-ray or DVD or whatever, um, but it was about all the uh, action choreography and mm. Yen Wu Ping, who I want to talk about in a second. Um, Did they mention Sammo Hung as well? It turns out that Sammo Hung choreographed one of the fight scenes. Oh, no, I didn't hear this. But, That's awesome. So and, and so I saw in an interview with Stephen Chow that uh, he was asked, why did Sammo Hung only choreograph the first fight scene? So he did the first one with the three townsfolk fighting back against the Axe Gang. Okay. And then he did not choreograph the future fight scenes. Stephen Chow says it was he had to step away for health reasons. Mm. And then I saw a little interview snippet with Sammo Hung who said uh, he was fired, but he kind of was chuckling as he says it. So I don't know if he was being serious. You know what mm. I mean? He might have been joking around. Maybe he wanted to keep health issues private. Who, who knows? Um, but, but yeah, Sammo Hung, who if people don't know, he's kind of an iconic person in kung fu martial arts films uh this kind of he's a little bit on like the bigger side but lightning quick and an unbelievable actions hero frequent collaborator of jackie chan yes and so yeah he did the first one but i don't know much about the other person you mentioned who did the remaining fights yeah well Well, we'll talk about him in a bit because he's he's mm -hmm. a big time he's a big deal in hollywood from the like late 90s early 2000s awesome in the featurette there they show some of the behind the scenes of those fight scenes, specifically the one with Stephen Chow when he like 
becomes, you know, actualized as like the martial, the, the Kung Fu master. Mm-hmm. And he's like running on walls and shit. Like a lot of that was wire work that looks great. But when I watched it the first time, because I was conditioned to expect so much CGI, it looked like they were faking it more than they were. So mm. it kind of like robbed some of the effectiveness of some of that for me. But mm-hmm. that being said, one point where I felt like, oh, now I get why he's doing all this CGI stuff. The best scene in the movie, in my opinion, the musician fight. Absolutely. That is one of the coolest things I have ever seen in cinema. Yes. I don't think I'm like talking out of my ass. That, that was the is point, so fucking cool. That was the point where it connected with me where I was like, oh, okay. I see that we're going for this so heightened like we're we're going like into the stratosphere you know fantastical realm but yes. in a really beautiful elegant way in that scene oh my god dude that scene is so amazing yeah. it is so the music in it is beautiful let's not mm-hmm. forget that the music is for me anyway emotionally charged literally what the musicians are playing by the way that's not like i'm talking about background score here right uh and for those who out there just a reminder what you're saying it's the two assassins who come. So like the, you know, the three initial heroes in the village fight off the Axe Gang. And the Axe Gang hires those two kind of ghastly musicians who come with that kind of traditional Chinese stringed instrument. And they start throwing these shadow weapons out of it, like through the sonic energy. Well, yeah, they're music. strumming and it's shooting oh. this energy beam, basically. But it's a, it's a literal dagger. Like, dude. And the way they slow roll the reveal of what's going on is so fucking cool because it starts with that first guy who is like the guy who could carry all the weight early on. Mm-hmm. And he's just like walking down the street and they have that great shot of the, the, the music note, which we don't know yet, but it's, it's a knife actually cuts like the, the tree next to him. Yep. And he doesn't really notice it. It's very shot, very artistic. Well, it's all in one shot. It's just following him oh down this God. alley. It's, it's a tracking shot of him. And yeah, you can keep going. Yeah. This cat jumps off the roof. And well, that's not, it, it does like three more before the cat. Oh, cool. What, what are the other ones? I missed So those. it knocks a bowl off the top of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually, it might just be the two. It's, it's the okay, tree cool. and then it's the bowl and then there's there's maybe one other, but then yes, the cat the, jumps the cat. off the roof, and you see the shadow of the cat projected on the wall behind this guy slices in half, and oh, then and blood like, hits the wall. It's a it's a fucking miraculous shot. It's it's an unbelievably artistic and cool shot, and the way the blades evolve too, it looks to me fucking great. Yeah. So uh, after that. After the cat gets cut in half, the guy gets beheaded. And then it is the the person, the kind of the boxer type guy with the rings on his arms. It's his turn to kind of face these guys. And that's when the the movie starts revealing what's going on with this really cool heartbeat pulse technique of like the sword flying out in slow motion, the shadow sword that's like shot out from the instrument. And it's like literally timed with like a pulsing that like reveals it every once in a while. And you're able to kind of track its movement, but then it vanishes and reappears. Mm-hmm. And it just and you're and it just slowly shows you what is happening. And then also the weapons change that come out of the instrument. And it just gets cooler and cooler. It's shot so incredibly well. And then again, throughout it, 
this incredible music is paired with the sequence, is baked into what's happening, and sounds amazing. And I get goosebumps even just talking about it. It is well, so fucking cool. Well, so that scene is beautiful on a different level too, which is going back to what I was talking about before with that YouTube video that unlocked the movie for me. Those mm-hmm. three characters that are fighting the uh, the musician assassins, mm-hmm. um, well, the one that gets beheaded and then the two that are fighting it. Right, right, um, right. The guy with the staff and the ring guy. Those three guys are representing three different fighting styles. So mm-hmm. like the rings around the arm, that is that is a, an actual fighting style that he's he's representing from Kung Fu history where like so cool. it's more of like a kind of a you know pulverizing like you're beating like with these you know these things he, he's taught the video talked about it being kind of this balance between um, the elegant and the brutal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned that in the film too. At one point when the three of them are like saying goodbye to each other because they're forced, they're exiled from the town right before the musicians show up. They they call out each other's fighting styles and mm-hmm. compliment it as right. well. And I think he even said to the ring guy, like elegant and strong or something like that. Like those yeah, but there's that. And then the guy who, um, the other guy who's fighting the musicians in the square uh, mm-hmm. The guy who who works with all staffs. with spears and staffs, mm-hmm. that developed from I guess bodyguards or like like fighting monks or something. Um, mm-hmm. But they were they weren't allowed weapons in these these temples. But they learned how to fight with staffs, and that was like their their weapon of choice. And so they had this like really like fast whipping staff uh, fighting style. And then the guy who gets beheaded earlier in the movie, you see that he like basically only kicks people. And it's like this, this like kick focused, uh, Kung Fu style. So it's oh. like when they're, when they're all together, that's like the history of Kung Fu coming together and then fighting this, like, you know, ethereal, like, like, you know, godlike kind of, you know, Kung yeah. Fu master. It's like, I don't know. It's just like all of that history baked into this shit is what got me like jazzed on, on, on what he's, I mean, cause Stephen Chow is like, it's it's crazy that he's making a comedy. He's making a uh, history of kung fu movie. He's making just a pure great action movie. He's doing like all this shit. Like there's there's elements of like westerns in here. There's elements of like fantasy. It's it's just like totally. It's so it, that that scene is all of that twisted into one. Yeah. Oh my god. And and two as we're talking about these sort of three kung fu style masters. I just want to give a shout out to how this film introduces them into the story. I, rem- I do remember this. I was really surprised when they turned out to be Kung Fu masters. With the exception of the, the kicking guy, who we see a scene of him earlier in the film loading up with a bunch of weight. He is clearly very strong. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, like the other two, they don't seem particularly intimidating they're sort of meek kind characters Mm -hmm. so when they kind of go into superhero mode to defend the town to me it was so unexpected on that first viewing it's like oh my god this is so cool and i loved the idea of these heroes rising up from within the town to defend the town and then that gets amped up even more when we find out about the landlord and the landlady also, because I that really fooled me too when they turned out to be kung fu masters, which eventually becomes a part of this same fight sequence that you and I are praising so much with the mm-hmm. musicians. Um, do we want to dive into that right now? Actually, while we're talking about 
landlord and landlady. Well, and yeah, I want I want to layer onto that. I mean, so it's not just those three guys that are representing kung fu history. The masters, like all these like special effects driven, like wild, over the top versions of of kung fu masters, not the like you know fighting style kind. These guys are all representing history of of Hong Kong and and Chinese cinema, uh, Cantonese mm-hmm. cinema. I think uh, is what Yan Wuping referred to it as. But um, they're like the 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 hand of Buddha is a thing in in the history of kung fu film. The toad style that that the beast uses that is like mm. been used in classic kung fu fantasy films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all, it's, it's like this movie is like a lesson in the history of Hong Kong cinema. And that's fucking so, cool. That's so sweet. So you're saying it's folding in the traditional actual fighting styles, but it's also bringing in these sort of fantasy wrinkles, mm-hmm. it's blending them all together with a ton of homages to Western film. And like, like you're saying all these different genres, it's a gangster film. It's a Looney Tunes cartoon. It's a Kung Fu movie. There's a shining a, reference at one point. A shining reference. It is a, it is a Western. Like the opening of this film is straight out of a Western man. It's yeah. crazy. So yeah, it, it, it is awesome that he is embracing like in such a global way, differing cultures, like very, uh, it seems like he's very proud of Kung Fu films and their importance in Chinese cinema and history. And he's, he's adoring that, but then he's also folding in all these other things from all around the world and baking them into the same thing. And for me, it all really, really works. The last thing I wanted to say about that video, um, that it brings up that I thought was fascinating. He referred to this movie as the smash brothers of Hong Kong cinema. Oh man, that's cool. That's cool. It makes sense. That's a perfect description. It's a goofy, over-the-top bashing. It but, is just well, like Super Smash. No, but more than that, it's pulling all of these different pieces of, you cool. know, like like Kung, Smash Brothers is all the characters of the Nintendo universe fighting mm-hmm. in like one place where they, you know, normally would never interact. It's mm-hmm. that, but with Hong Kong cinema history. So, so awesome, dude. Yeah. So awesome. But also, I mean, like, I think this leads in maybe to uh, talking about the actors a little bit, because I did want to mm-hmm. mention you brought up the landlady and the landlord. Both of those actors uh, are major figures in, in Kung Fu films in, in that era. So like mm-hmm. the, the guy who played the, uh, the landlord, not the landlady, um, he is uh he he was in a bunch of Jackie Chan movies he was in like some stuff in the 80s um there's some there's a great fight between him and Jackie Chan where he's like smoking a cigarette while he's fighting and he's like mm-hmm. in a suit have you ever seen that one with the guy with the mustache I don't think so but do you know is it from the film Dragons Forever Yes okay so in one of the interviews I saw they gave a shout out to it cuz just like you're saying they're talking about the the actor who plays the landlord and how he was Kung Fu staple. And they mentioned Dragons Forever, and I Googled it, and I was like, I have never seen this Jackie Chan movie. 88, Sammo Hung is in it as well, and this guy who plays the landlord, but he's a villain. I didn't know there was about a cigarette in the mouth or anything like that, but I'm like, I want to put it on the board, but I can't have two Jackie Chan movies on at the same time. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But as a movie, I'm... I have never heard of, and I'm a pretty big Jackie Chan fan. I've never seen this fight you're mentioning, and I really want to see the film. I've so, seen did that you see fight, the fight in isolation, and it's great. Is it, is it, it's, oh, cool. So he must have been a little younger 
You know, this is in the 80s. Obviously, Kung Fu Hustle came out in 2004. And he's smoking a cigarette the whole time? Mm-hmm. And is he is he fast and toe to toe with Jackie? He's just yeah, and dope. he's like he's got this like wobbly body where he's like bobbing and weaving the whole time. It's great. So kind of like he does in this film a little a bit. A little bit, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah. so he so he's got a history in that in that world. Um the the lady who plays the landlady, um by the way, we're just not going to butcher these names. We're just sticking with, with character names, everyone. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No disrespect to the performances, but we don't want to drag names through the mud with our yeah. terrible pronunciation. Absolutely. Google it. Check it out. Check them out. Uh, and all really good, in my opinion. But yeah, sorry. Continue but about so the landlady. So Landlady uh, was in going back to uh, kind of a series that we touched on earlier in, in our show. The Man with the Golden Gun, the second Roger Moore Bond movie, has a whole martial arts section kind of tucked into the middle of it, and she's featured heavily in it. So I saw in an interview they mentioned that, and I was like, ooh, I want to ask Drew this question that I'm about to ask you. Do you re- when, when you found that out, do you remember the fight scene? For sure. Of like, yeah. and and is it is it great? Is she awesome in it? Like, what what? I mean, what's it's going not. On? Well, look, it's not filmed by people who know how to make that look cool. So, like, right. if it were made by the Hong Kong, you know, community, like like themselves, it would probably would have kicked ass. All the choreography is pretty cool, and like what she's mm-hmm. doing is badass. But like, it more sticks out just as one of those kind of artifacts of of james bond where it's just reacting to what is popular at that that particular time right you know? right so it's like bruce lee's killing in western it. Let's get culture a anyway. that. yeah let's get it let's get in on that action but um the last one i wanted to touch on the guy who plays the beast uh his name is lung su lung but he, he goes by bruce lung um <laughs> in that that uh youtube video that i was mentioning that uh covers the stunts and the action choreography in this movie Apparently he is on like basically the Mount Rushmore of of Kung Fu with like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan and uh like one other guy that I I I didn't recognize that they mentioned but he's like he's a legend. Mm. That's what else is so is he a legend both in choreography and and starring in or mostly starring? Mostly starring I it seems like but I mean all those gotcha. guys did both, you know. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, he's talk about someone who's got a great look, by the way. Like he that's one of my favorite things in this film is the reveal of the beast is to me so funny. We get the sprinkling of kernels of like, oh, you know, it's the musicians actually who say it like, no, we're not the best. The beast is the best, but he's like locked up in an insane asylum. So the breadcrumb is dropped beautifully. Mm -hmm. Then we get to the release of. You know, Stephen Chow breaking into the asylum. Drew mentioned the shining reference of him staring at the beast's cell and he imagines blood pouring out down the hallway. And then there's frogs hopping around, and as all this tension has been built up, the storm is swirling in the sky, and the doors open, and it's just this guy in like jelly sandals or whatever the hell they are, cross legged reading a paper. And it's just so, to me, so funny. It's hilarious. And then if and then we get introduced to him talking to the gangsters and he's getting punched in the face. We get another of many, in my mind anyway, Western film references where like out of Raging Bull, he's demanding to get hit harder in the face by this gangster who's just punching him. And then he does that really cool thing with the gun where he stops the bullet. It's just just a cool, just an awesome character. And I love the way he looked. And I didn't know that he was such a legendary kung fu guy. 
And, yeah. and it makes sense. He's, he's great in this movie, I think. No, it's a great bit. Uh, I think I love that. Um, I just, I love the look like you're talking about the jelly sandals and shit. It's just funny. Oh, and just the, ta- like the baldness with the tattered hair coming down the like side. Like he gives looks, no fucks. He does not care. And he's been like driven to a depression through being <laughs> unable to find a, va- a, a, you know, an opponent worth his time. You know what I mean? It's just so funny. For sure. And then we get that great line of him. Like I could have broken out at any point. Like he's like there by choice. You know what I mean? It's just, it's great. Great character. Well, we've mentioned him a bunch, but we still haven't talked much about Stephen Chow. We should talk about mm. him a little bit. So yeah, for sure. Stephen Chow is uh, a legend in in Chinese cinema as well. In terms of, uh, he's more known for his comedy, though, uh, both mm-hmm. as an actor and as a writer director. Um, he had gotten a lot of acclaim a couple of years before this with Shaolin Soccer, which is another one that I haven't seen that I would like to check out. Also, but, haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's just a, a really talented filmmaker, and and I think he's a, a solid leading man. I, I I think I like the filmmaking on display in this a little bit more than I do him as like the star of it necessarily. But he's he's good. Yeah, no, I I think I agree completely with what you just said. Um, he's fine as a performer. He makes me laugh. He's goofy. Yeah. He's funny. But what impresses me more is the strength of what he has built from directorial and writing and producing side it's like the, the the way the movie is is so impressive to me yeah and the performance is just yeah it's good yeah no that's kind of how i feel i mean i'm not like blown away by him i don't need to go watch a million stephen chow starring movies but stephen chow directed and and written ones yeah absolutely mm-hmm. they go on the list dude last couple of times i've seen this movie i bet you can just clock it as soon as the credits roll the algorithm the algorithm will tell you that I Google Stephen Chow movies and I want to see more of his work because I just love this movie so much. And then I never end up doing it. I've heard of Shaolin Soccer through this film. Um, it's supposedly great. I've never seen it. And I don't even know names of his, of his other films. And I'm very intrigued to see more of his work. Yeah. He's, this movie is so unique. It's so different. It really is. It's it's also interesting to note that this is like one of the last movies he starred in ever. After Kung Fu Hustle, he only has four credits. Two of them are for the same thing, just a cartoon version and a live action version. <laughs> and one of them is an uncredited role as a theater employee, it says. So like wow. he hasn't done anything basically as an actor since then. And as a director... It looks like he's made a, a couple more movies after this, but uh, nothing that I've heard of before. So I, I you know, maybe they're maybe they're big English there. Versions. I just yeah, I'd be curious to to hear if anyone has any that they recommend. But yeah, yeah, I wonder if it is the Western influences that we've kind of touched on that allowed this movie to cross the ocean and and catch a bit of steam in Western culture. Do you think that might be the case? Is it the fact that it's relying on? You know, the American Western film, it's leaning on some tropes there. It's got gangster stuff. It's got references that we recognize. Um, I wonder if that's if that's part of the, the concoction that led yeah. to its international success. Well, I think this movie came out at a pretty big time for Asian cinema exploding in the West. Like, I, mm-hmm. this is around the same time as Old Boy. This is around the same time as um, Memories of Murder. 
this mm-hmm. is around the same time that Quentin Tarantino is like, you know, putting his name behind stuff like Battle Royale. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of the height of we're well, not the height, but it's kind of the 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 big bang of, you know, kind of Asian cinema infiltrating the West, uh, you know, in, in terms in a big way. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably largely to thank for for why this movie got so much attention around then. Um, but that being said, like most of the auteurs and the the big filmmakers from that era, you know, like I'm saying, like like your uh, Park Chan Wooks and your Bong Joon Ho's, um, like they've continued to have success in the West, and it's interesting that it doesn't look like Stephen Chow has. Yeah, yeah, I'm very. I'm very curious to see if it's even possible for us to see as Americans, his more recent work. And I'm very curious to see if I respond to it, if it even is possible. Um, because like you're saying, I agree. I like, I, we both are huge fans of Park Chan-wook and, and of Bong Joon-ho and everybody like that. And they have had a lot of staying power beyond that initial wave. Um, and maybe, Maybe the reasons are bullshit for Stephen Chow not being in that same category from our perspective. You know, I kind of want to go back to the landlord and the landlady a little bit and how their powers are revealed to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we, like, the landlady, both of them actually obviously start off as sort of very comic slapsticky characters. Both cracking me up, by the way. The drunken landlord kind of stumbling around. The landlady beating the shit out of everybody and yelling at everyone and being really mean and crass. All that shit was working for me comedically. But when they are forced to display their powers in the musician fight, the way that comes into being is so cool to me. So it's, it starts with the musicians. This like unidentified person is all of a sudden between the two musicians. They have just like defeated pretty much the three local heroes that we were previously introduced to. And the camera does this really cool pan. I think it's down. It's like a crane shot coming down or it's either the reverse of that to reveal that it's just the landlord with his arms around the musicians right in between them. And it's just so cool. And they try to start beating him up. And then that thing happens that Western audiences love so fucking much. And I very much into it, too. We get a little bit of like drunken boxing kind of and we get this sort of loosey goosey, reactive, rubbery sort of fighting style. That is all about um, using your opponent's energy against them. <laughs> and it's just so funny to me the way he's like shaking his gut around and like dodging the punches and knocking them into each other. Like classic Three Stooges slapstick, by the way. Well, it's, it so it's called Tai Chi. They, like he's using oh, tai, it's tai Chi, chi. There. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was like a drunken boxing, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that, that was so cool. And then the landlady comes down and does the breath thing. And it's just like, I don't know. I just love these secret well, heroes. Well, she does the, the suck in on the cigarette too, which is good. Yeah, brings the whole thing down. I don't know if there's a scene without her, a, without a cigarette in her mouth, by the way. Like, she's just always just hanging there. It's so funny. But yeah. yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm a sucker for just the way the landlord's abilities to fight were brought to the audience. I just think is another really cool thing about this movie. No, absolutely. I, I like all the reveals of the power sets of these characters, you know? Mm-hmm. And and to your point, you brought up earlier, like that this movie kind of is a superhero movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And like, it is like, it makes me, you know, going back to Stephen Chow, not working all that much recently. Like 
Fuck. Give him a fucking Marvel movie. He would crush a superhero movie. It would be great. It would be great. Give him a Thor. Absolutely. But, you know, touching on the the choreography that you're talking about with, like, the wiggliness of, you know, his Mm -hmm. movements in that scene, that kind of brings me to Yen Wu Ping, who I mentioned briefly earlier, but... Dude is a legend of martial arts choreography. He is the choreographer behind Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He's the choreographer behind The Matrix, uh, Kill Bill, the same year as this movie. Uh, he did all, you know, Kill Bill 1 and 2. He did the original Drunken Master, to, uh, more to your point. A um, mm-hmm. bunch of old Jet Li stuff, too. Like, the guy is just, like, one of the the greats of all time in that realm, um, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, The Matrix being like the generation defining film, uh, which is just Unreal. it's crazy to think. Uh, Such a great film. And this, the story with The Matrix is that apparently the Wachowskis wanted Yen Wu Ping to do the choreography so bad and he didn't want to do it at first. He was like, no way, I'm not I'm not doing it. And they were like, please, come on, like literally they gave him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. They, they said, we will not constrict you in any way, shape or form, whatever you want to do with these, the, these scenes from a chore- choreography standpoint, we will just, we'll film it. Whatever you want to do, just do it. Worked out, worked out. So that, that's a cool way to do it too. Like the director is just like, we'll take care of filming it. We'll choose out of how we shoot it. You just you're going to get whatever you want in terms of what 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 is going to be on the screen. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah. "All right, well, fuck it. I've never been given that amount of creative freedom, so let's go." That's great. That's so cool. But yeah, he's he's a legend, and um, everyone needs to go rewatch all of his old movies and just like watch how this movie kind of, from a stylistic standpoint, fits in with all of those in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like like he. What's interesting about all of those movies is even though they do have elements that are very similar across the board, they're all such different movies, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I agree. And the fight, the, they have different sort of things they're going for kinetically and in the fight scenes themselves, you know? Yeah. Like we often talk about how it's so cool when you fall in love with like a cinematographer and you see all these different films that they've done. You're like, oh my goodness, they all look so different. Blah, blah, blah. We, we adore that. You can say the same for any sort of any art within the film industry, but choreographer, fight choreographer is definitely that. It's like, oh yeah, they don't they don't want to do the same stuff over and over, just like yeah. anybody else. They want to reinvent themselves and their art every opportunity they can. And it sounds like he's one of those guys too, because they all they all they all feel different. I think it's the perfect springboard, Drew, to get into yet another segment. Of top brutes, <laughs> we're, we're we're talking fight scenes. We're talking choreography. I think it just makes sense to go. If anyone's just hearing this episode in isolation, we have a reoccurring segment where we talk about the most brutal parts of an action film. We've previously done it with Conan the Barbarian and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So now, back to top brutes, and I want to ask you, Drew, do you have any nominees, any contenders in Kung Fu Hustle for this week's? Top route. Well, we've mentioned one of them, which is definitely leg fighter guy getting beheaded. Oh, yeah, brute. brutal, brutal, brutal. But um, I, I think there's really only one that I can go with. It's the the leader of the axe gang getting his head flipped around backwards. 
<laughs> that's mine too, man. That's the, I think that is that's definitively. The it is, is the, the top brute. It's the top brute. I think you could also make an argument for the cat getting cut in half <laughs> because sure. the way the blood, the blood just kind of like trickles on the wall is really creepy. Less of a death, but uh, her running into the billboard is pretty brutal, too. That's pretty brutal as well. Also less cartoon of brute. a death, but... <laughs> cartoon brute. Also less of a death, but worth a shout-out for sure. And actually, I almost think it, it gets close, nips at the heels of rivaling the head spinning around like a top. But it's when the beast is beating the shit out of Stephen Chow hmm. and is like pounding him into the floor and his like neck is twisted all the way back and it's just like, doosh, doosh, like again and again. That's pretty that's pretty brutal. Hmm. And also the musicians, they don't get killed, I don't believe, but when they get blown away and their clothes get torn off, <laughs> it's pretty brutal too. I guess but some good brutes for this week. There's some good ones. Well and yeah. and the axe gang leader, uh which, by the way, the Axe Gang was a real gang in Shanghai, apparently, mm-hmm. and they're they're referencing that. But uh, but the leader of the Axe Gang also has another top brute contender when he his entire head catches on fire because his assistant pours uh, liquor on on a burning Dude, hair. That is an example. By the way, I'm really glad you said it now. I'll just say this: that's a scene that makes me laugh my ass off. That's <laughs> that's the type of comedy in this film that totally works for me with the music going on the. Bah, 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 and it's like the fire's going off and they can't douse it. It's just so damn funny to me. And brute. Also a brute. I mean, it would suck to have your entire hair on fire all at once. That, yeah. That and your idiot terrifying. assistant try to douse alcohol on it. <laughs> douse it with alcohol. What did you think was going to happen here? Yeah. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen here? <laughs> and then also, I like that the assistant tries to muffle it with his coat and that lights on fire. <laughs> <laughs> It just just keeps growing. And then it's that shot of the car speeding down the road and the smoke just billowing out of it. Just really just good old fashioned slapstick humor, man. Love it. Oh, another brood I'll say, too, is the woman who gets gunned down in the street in the beginning of the film. Oh, yeah. Is pretty brutal. And I mean, they work a gag into it later in the film. But that that's a really kind of vicious moment that the movie starts with. And even though it's filmed, the whole thing is very cartoonish as the movie opens up, it's still a pretty brutal and heartless moment. And that one guy gets his, his leg chopped off from the axe. Mm-hmm. Top Brutes, I think we covered it. And I think the winner is it's the neck twisting around from the, from the punch from the beast, man. It's just great. I, um, I kind of wanted to talk about something I alluded to at the top of the discussion. Some of the more emotional, like and sincere moments in this yeah, film. Do you want to get into that, that now? Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. I don't yeah. know if that totally connected with me as much as it did you. So I'm curious to hear what yeah. your thoughts are on that. This there's something about the whole lollipop storyline and going back to childhood and this moment where he was really being brave and he gets just beaten up and shamed for his bravery. And thought it was like a useless gesture in a futile moment. And the way the lollipop comes back around and we see her as an adult and realize how much she valued him standing up for her in that moment and how heroic it was to her. But then the whole thing of him trying to go dark and trying to become a gangster and rejecting 
this really sincere gesture from this person um, from his past mm-hmm. just was really working on me as like making me sad. And like, mm. like it was really, I found it really sweet and tender. And sneakily, when I was a kid, one of the most sad things I had ever seen in a movie, I still can't quite put it into words, and I may have mentioned this to you in the past, is in Jurassic Park, when Dr. Grant is in the tree with the kids after mm-hmm. the car wreck sequence, and he finds he's getting poked in his pocket by the raptor claw, and he takes it out, and he's staring at it, and he's recognizing sort of the futility of his career and his life's work, and it's represented by him throwing the raptor claw to the ground and getting rid of it. And it, to me, is just heartbreaking. And, and as a kid, I'm watching it, and I can't put it into words. Something about the John Williams score, the work that's doing, just really yeah. works for me emotionally. It makes me really sad. And when the lollipop breaks and she tries to re- put it back together, but it falls apart, something about it, it, it struck in a similar, a similar emotional uh, response for me of like, I don't know, something being broken and unfixable. And I don't know, it just, it really works for me. It, it's something yeah. that really kind of, it kind of punches me in the stomach in a good way. No, that's awesome. I mean, like I love when, when visual representations of emotional moments uh, connect with you that way. Um, yeah. It's interesting that you see the Dr. Grant moment as being entirely sad though, because I think it's also representative of him kind of just tossing a, a, aside his old ways in terms of being closed mm. off and not uh, connecting with kids. And like, you know, that claw is like used to intimidate the kid. At oh, the beginning you're of right. The movie and yeah, he's tossing it away. It's like that claw is a representation of his crotchetiness, his like inability to connect with other humans. That's so interesting. There's also that's a, a really positive good way to look angle at it. on it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I had never, I had actually never kicked up that. I mean, you're right. He uses it to pretend slash at the kid's belly in the beginning yeah. of the film. And uh, yeah, I had never made that connection. So you're I don't right. know it's if there's a dual meaning in this one. No, no. I just I just wanted no, to call no. that out because I think no, I, I think I it's like interesting that, that, that you you take such a sad reading of it. And I mean, there that's definitely pro- partially true. Um, yeah. But his expertise, if anything, becomes more valuable in a world that has live dinosaurs. In my opinion, that's 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 fascinating. Yeah. And again, this is just me as a kid. There's something there's something going on in that rejecting of the raptor claw that like I just thought was the saddest fucking thing. And I couldn't put it into words, you know, I'm like eight years old watching it, but it really hit me when I was a kid. Yeah. It's, you know, I see everything you're saying. I I think it, it might be one that over, over time I connect more with it as I like, grow an appreciation and love of this movie, like on future viewings. Um, cause I'll definitely watch this again in the future. I would imagine. I did want to mention, uh, some influences and homages. We've we've referenced a couple of the things that are in in this movie that are paying homage and reference. But I think this movie influenced in a huge way one of my favorite movies, and is something that I I really need you to watch after having watched this movie and and knowing that you love this movie. Scott Pilgrim versus the World is this movie. Okay, in a lot okay. of ways. So you're saying, if I like this, I will love Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. This movie is structured very similarly similarly to that in that it's these various boss battles kind of building up to the final battle with the beast. And mm-hmm. the, the, 
I got to believe that Edgar Wright watched this movie like dozens of times leading up to making Scott Pilgrim versus the world because there's there's a whole scene in it. And I won't spoil the setup in Scott Pilgrim, but there's a whole scene that's very, very similar to the uh, musician fight in this. Mm, and I'm okay. curious to hear your thoughts on it once you see that. Hell yeah, dude. I mean, this, this is a good indicator. I like that we have, we talked a little bit about Scott Pilgrim versus the world in our last night in Soho episode. And you were banging the drum then of like, you got, it's my favorite, dude. You got to check it out. And I like that now, like you're saying, now that you know how much I like Kung Fu Hustle, it's given you even a greener light that you're showing me of like, no, go for it, dude. You're going to, you're going to love this. Absolutely. It's a, it's a guarantee at this point, knowing that you love this movie. Yeah. I will watch it on my own time and we will tuck it into a, a chin wag or something. And we'll, we'll chat about it there. Cause, cause it's, I, I'm more intrigued now knowing that, I mean, I already love Edgar Wright, but, but getting this layered on top of it is making me want to go for it. All right. All right. <clears throat> Contender for the board. I don't know. You should throw it. Oh, on. really? Maybe maybe I'll put it on the board. Yeah, huh? that's a contender too. So I'd maybe love, it won't be a chin wag. I'd love to have a redemption arc for Edgar Wright after I just verbally assaulted him in the yeah, last. Yeah, you were <laughs> you, you took him to task. No, it was fine. <laughs> no, 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 you don't have to love everything he does. We got to keep him honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the guy yeah. got a little bit big for his boots anyway. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we love you, Edgar. Any final notes before we kind of close the book on Kung Fu Hustle for now? Any sort of bullet point things that you want to hit? I just wanted to reference a bit that I found really fucking funny that I forgot Love it. about. I'm look, you know, scanning my notes again before we wrap up. It's during the the final fight with the beast, and it's mm-hmm. some some townsperson who comes to their door, uh, like from all the noise outside and all the the racket going on. And he comes out on the the balcony. He's like, "What's going on here?" And then immediately, <laughs> a giant piece of cement flies towards him, and he says, "Oh, forget it!" And then runs back <laughs> inside. It's just like somebody who's just supremely confident, immediately getting deflated by like danger is hilarious to me. Yeah. And just the, the cadence of like, "What's going on?" Oh, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's also- really funny. Just thinking about what this town has been through recently with like all these fights and these deaths. I mean, this is the, now the third or fourth time that the gang has shown up. Who in this town would exit with that much, you know, intensity? It's just so funny to me. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. Actually, you make a, you made a good point. When you said what's going on, I just triggered this thought for me. Did you see this uh, movie dubbed or did you see it with subtitles? You know, that was another pr- frustrating part is I couldn't find a non-dubbed version of it. Yeah, I I couldn't either. But the movie in my mind, in my memory was I, I started I'm like, shit, is this dubbed? Did I watch it dubbed when I was younger? I couldn't find a, a non-dubbed version. I will say it didn't bother me. I think it's a really good dub. It's not bad. It's it's far from the worst I've heard, but I mean I I would always prefer to watch their actual voices. I would too. I would too. But I think they never it never felt like a voice didn't didn't match the frame or the yeah. character. It all worked for me. Yeah, I think unfortunately, like absurdism when you then put it through another filter of someone else's voice coming out of that person's body, it it maybe kind of took me out of it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I really do love the look of this movie. We've we've kind of touched on it throughout the conversation, but I wanted to really just put a point on it. Like 
the way it glows, especially in the city sequences outside of sort of the slumish neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, the lighting is really good there. It really looks uh, surreal and and not of this world in a cool way. And I also love that for me as an American viewer, I had a really fun, difficult time placing when this movie takes place. Mm. And like, cause I'm like, well, there's movie theaters, there's, there's old cars, but there's still horses and buggies running around. And like, it was just really kind of fun for it to be kind of, I mean, I guess at one point we see a marquee and like a, a Fred Astaire and a ginger. Yeah. It's like, like mid 20th poster. century. Yeah, I think so. But it just, it was kind of fun that the movie, it doesn't stamp anything too aggressively with a date. It has right. sort of this fantasy vibe. Um, and you're right. It's making me wonder why I don't respond to Baz Luhrmann's work more because it is really similar in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's maximalist filmmaking for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, I think. I also want to just mention, like, I love the sets in this movie. They do a so great good. job. I mean, you referenced the opening of the movie with the, you know, the the kind of the vibrancy of the the city that they, they portray on screen. I mean, that's clearly mm -hmm. a set that's been, you know, kind mm -hmm. of cartoonified to some extent to to bring out the neon and the the reds and the yellows and the greens and the blues and it's just um it's just really beautiful and and the set work and the design work is phenomenal. So good, so good, dude. And the shots, too, in addition to how everything looks, there's some really nice camera moves. Like, there's a shot that takes place after the three uh, warriors in the village, like, stand up for the town, where it's kind of just showing you life in this town. It's a single take. It starts on, like, the second tier of this terrace, and it just kind of snakes its way around, cranes its way down. And it's a really cool, like, look at the community it's a it's a it's a really complicated shot. There's a lot of people moving in and out of it. It's we're peering into different rooms. I think it starts with the landlord and the landlady fighting, mm -hmm. and then it just works its way down. There's people playing uh, a ver like some sort of board game. There's someone taking a dump in the middle of like the town, and then there's some guy trying to swat a fly on his wall, and like things start falling down. But it's just a really cool shot, and I think there's a lot in this movie like that where mm -hmm. they're like even the opening shot of this movie in the police station is a pretty dope shot where we mm -hmm. hear people getting beaten off, beaten up off camera. Really, um, some really impressive camera work in this movie, I thought. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I love all the technical prowess, uh, other than the CGI, which I've mentioned I wasn't a big fan of. But, <laughs> yeah. but other than that, I think, I think everything visually in this movie yeah. is truly, truly outstanding stuff. Awesome, awesome, dude. I mean, I, I'm super glad that you liked it, man. I, I really am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan and, uh, I think it's definitely one that could grow in my mind over time for sure. I believe it is a Drew Clark week for a nomination to replace Kung Fu Hustle at number 20 on our dartboard. Drew, do you have any that you're kicking around? Do you have any contenders? Did you come in hot? Did you come in with one in the chamber? Well, I've mentioned a few during the recording tonight. Um, in the pre-record, we were, and, and this might make it into a chinwag episode later on, but we were doing a little talk about spooky season since we're, we're in October right now. And uh, I mentioned Hereditary. That's one that I I've really would like to get on the board at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but that might just get watched this season. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I, that's one that I've kicked around. I've, you know, I've kicked around uh, a few others. And as you said earlier in the episode, like, 
there's a weight on my shoulders of it's got to roll off the tongue. It's got to fit in with the, the, the whole vibe of the board right now. It's got to be a good night. It's got to be a strong title to be yeah. the end of the list. Yeah. So previously we had the Ballad of Cable Hogue. We just had <laughs> the Kung Fu Hustle. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to, to, to switch it up. So I think the one that I'm going to go with is one that is the classic, classic dartboard movie night choice. It's a shamer to some extent. It's one that I just feel like there's no way I'm going to get to this unless we hit it on the board, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, this is fertile ground for a reason for something to go up on the board, man. The movie I'm going with is The Terminator. The Terminator! Dude, great shamer. I would imagine... Maybe inspired a little bit with last week's episode on Conan the Barbarian. A little bit, yeah. I definitely, yeah. it's it's definitely on the list of Arnie's I need to knock off. But more than that, it, it is the last James Cameron movie I haven't seen. I think oh, I'd have to do man. a look over. But I mean, other than his like documentary uh, underwater movies, I, I I think I've seen all of them. Dude, I really like this choice. It's totally a shamer for you. Shame on you, True. But also, it's a movie I've only seen once and when I was in like high school. So it's not one I know to, to death. It's a movie that has an incredible amount of lore and legacy. And as we're trending into things getting, speaking of spooky season, a little bit creepy with AI these days and the extent of things there, kind of timely, you know, kind of For timely sure. to explore a movie like this. And I'm really excited about it. And I think it's a great 20 choice for just name name strength alone yeah yeah no i'm i'm excited to get to it and i'm a huge fan of t2 i've seen that a million times but just have never gotten to the terminator and it's a bit of a disgrace of mine and i need to uh make that clean so it will be made right before the show ends it will be made right let's do a little recap of the board one more time before we throw that dart at number one, you can count on me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Dirty Harry. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19, Face off and number 20 the terminator yes it's a good new 20 it fits with the flow i love it dude All you got right. any hopefuls or should i just throw this Fucking thing and trust single the digits for god's sake i'm aiming dude i'll aim tonight let's see if we can get a single well true well jared the dart has spoken. What's it got? Six. We got a single digit, baby. Single digit. Number six is a shamer of yours. It is the sixth sense. Okay. And a dartboard original. It's been a while since we've hit one of the original dartboard members, but this has been on since the beginning of the show. Since the, since the, and it was, as, any, as people probably might not remember or maybe never even heard, as part of our original 20, Drew and I both picked 10 movies, including one shamer each. And 
Drew selected E.T., which turned out to be also a co-shamer, funny enough. But my choice for my shamer was The Sixth Sense. And this is a movie that I have been wanting to get to for since it came out, pretty much. But I just have not had a lot of interest in it. I've got to see it. I'm embarrassed to not have seen this movie. And we'll get into more of those specifics next week. But um, very excited to cross this one on my list. And very excited to have a single digit for the first time in ages. The last single digit movie that we covered was Alan Partridge in week 17. That's crazy. That was, that was many, many months ago. <laughs> many months ago. So yeah, it's good to be back on the front side of the board. Happy to be covering The Sixth Sense. I love this movie. I'm really excited to talk about it. And it's a movie that we'll get to talking about this more in depth. But for me, this is one of those movies that even knowing the spoiler going into it, knowing like the legacy of this movie and how much it's beloved, it holds up. I, I watched it for the first time a few years ago. Really excited to cover it with you. Awesome, dude. Awesome. That'll do it for our episode tonight on Kung Fu Hustle. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mark. Later. Later.